Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us for Chia's webinar um, on understanding Chia recognition and its importance to higher education institutions. My name is Lori Schrader. I'm the Vice President for Recognition Services, and I'm going to help moderate our engaging discussion today. I'm really excited for Chia to be offering this webinar so often. I respond to questions about what the benefit of CHIA recognition is to the accrediting organizations that CHIA recognizes. But today our focus is really going to be on how CHIA recognition benefits our member institutions. Let me take a moment to introduce our distinguished panel of speakers today. I'm going to just give a little brief bio and Hopefully I won't muddle it up too much. So we're going to start with um, uh, Daryl Kane. He holds a firm conviction for teaching and learning and currently teaches in the graduate school at the University of Maryland, University College. He has over 16 years of teaching and research experience and has presented and authored numerous articles. His research interest is centered on the pedagogy. Oh, sure, this is the word that I'm gonna mess up today pedagogical implications of teaching and learning with technology, student retention and success and learning outcomes assessment. Dr. Kane graduated with his bachelor's degree from Indiana University. He earned a master's degree from Ball State University in college student personnel administration and higher ed. He obtained his doctor of philosophy in education leadership and policy studies, policy studies while minoring in instructional technology from Virginia Tech. University. Dr. Kane currently serves as the president of Pierce College Puyallup in Puyallup, Washington, and has held positions as vice chancellor for student affairs, vice president of academic affairs, and dean of academic affairs. He currently also serves as a peer reviewer for the Higher Learning Commission and is a member of the CHIA Board of Directors. Bob Clark earned a BA in Spanish, a BS in a Business Administration and an MBA from the University of Maine. He was awarded the PhD in Finance from Purdue University. I did not speak to Daryl and Bob about the in-state rivalry between Purdue and Indiana. Um, we could perhaps get to that later. And also earned the Chartered Financial Analyst Professional designation prior to assuming the Husson, Pres Husson University presidency on January 1st, 2010. Clark served as the Vice President of Strategic Initiatives and Dean of the Schrader Family School of Business Administration at the University of Evansville in Indiana. He also was the founding executive director of the University's Institute for Global Enterprise in Indiana. He has held academic appointments as a faculty member in finance and global business at Butler University, the University of Tampa, and the University of Vermont. In addition, he has experience as a United States Army Administrative Officer, Consultant, Pension Administrator, and Controller. Dr. Clark has served as a Fulbright Scholar at the Norwegian School of Management and as a guest faculty member at the Business and Economics University in Vienna. Uh, Dr. Clark is also currently a member of the CHIA Board of Directors. Last but certainly not least, Leah Matthews serves as the Executive Director of the Distance Education Accrediting Commission located in Washington, D.C. The DEAC is a private nonprofit organization founded in 1926 that accredits fully distance education institutions serving nearly 1.2 million students annually. The DEAC is recognized by the U.S. Department of Education and the Council for Higher Education Accreditation. 
Ms. Matthews holds a Bachelor of Arts in Music from Westminster College, New Wilmington, Pennsylvania, a Master of Public Administration from the University of Oklahoma, and a PhD in education from George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia. So that gives you a little idea of the, the, the terrific expanse of expertise that we have uh, on the panel today. And I am now going to um, have us advance the slide and turn it over to um, Bob Clark. Thank you, Laurie. Uh, one of the things I think is really critically important to us all is that CHIA is the only national organization focused exclusively on higher education accreditation and quality assurance. And so what we want to spend some time today is talking about that importance and what the uh, organization does for its membership. And I will go through the slides to give you a little framework of the background. CHIA was formed as a referendum of college and university presidents in 1996, when they saw that there was no organizing fashion that attended to the issues related to accreditation. The recognition process is an examination of quality, effectiveness, and ability of accrediting organizations to accredit degree-granting higher education institutions and or programs that they offer. And when you see the membership of the organizations that do the accrediting, you'll find there are institution-wide accreditors, and then there are programmatic specific accreditors in the role. Accreditation using nationally and professionally approved rigorous academic standards confirms quality assurance and a commitment to quality improvement in higher education. A CHIA recognized accrediting organization has core values that are specific to institutional accountability and student success and that can provide evidence of those values and standard to the public. And that is one of the critical elements of accreditation is that it does allow individual public members to know that the institutions and its programs have gone through rigorous review and have met quality standards. CHIA recognition is not subject to any governmental authority or political ideology and serves as an impartial public authority for colleges and universities. Please advance the slide. CHIA recognizes sound and effective higher education accrediting bodies. It conducts and coordinates research, debate, and processes that improve accreditation. Serves as a national advocate for voluntary self-regulation through accreditation. Collects and disseminates data and information about accreditation through a biennial public almanac. It also mediates disputes and fosters communication between and among accrediting bodies and the higher education community. And it works to preserve the quality and diversity of colleges and universities. Advance the slides, please. When we look at CHIA recognition, it provides that assurance to the public and to the organization that accrediting organizations are demonstrating the same expectations that are required of the institutions and or programs they accredit, with a focus on student success, innovative practices, public accountability, continuous improvement, 
implementing rigorous standards that protect students and families, fairness and application of standards, commitment to diversity and autonomy of institutional missions, and a willingness to address concerns regarding its role as an authority for oversight. Slide. When we look at the numbers, CHIA recognizes 64 accrediting organizations representing 12 institutional accrediting organizations, regional, career-related, and faith-related. It also recognizes 52 programmatic accrediting organizations. Of the 64 accrediting organizations that CHIA represents, 23 are also recognized by the United States Department of Education. There are 89 recognized accrediting organizations, CHIA and or the United States Department of Education in the United States. Slide. At this time, we would like to invite you into a discussion model and I am thankful that I'm joined by my colleagues. And then also we can rely on Lori, who has some expertise as well. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. I really appreciate it. And um, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So often in a webinar, we spend a lot of time looking at slides and trying to quickly take notes and think about, you know, what's important from that slide that I need to remember. But today we've taken a little bit of a different tack. We really want to engage in a conversation about how CHIA recognition benefits the accrediting organization and by extension benefits those institutions such as Hudson University and Pierce College. Um, Puyallup that are also members of CHIA. So I'm going to get the discussion started by directing a question to Leah. So Leah, DEAC is recognized by CHIA and USDE. Can you talk a little bit about why DAC has chosen dual recognition? Leah, you're muted. Yeah, we've all done this before, right? We've all been stuck <laughs> on mute at the time we're asked a question in a Zoom webinar. Uh, thank you, Lori, for including me today. It's great to be here with Bob and Daryl and you to talk about accreditation and recognition. So you asked me, why would an accreditor want to go through the process of recognition with the Department of Education and with CHIA? Uh, the reason is because there's great value in both processes and both processes focus on different aspects of an accrediting organization's role. The Department of Education, which isn't the topic of today's webinar, but just to briefly mention, has a focus on accountability for federal financial aid dollars, you know, federally funded programs that help students to finance their education, and accreditors are part of a process of assuring that those dollars are being used for education quality and helping students achieve the educational outcomes that they're set forth um, you know, to pursue. Uh, CHIA has a different kind of accountability and its focus is um, on the academics and its focus represents the peer community in higher education and their fundamental tenets and belief about what academic quality, peer review, 
continuous improvement mean in higher education? So by participating in both, you know, DEAC undergoes a review of its standards and processes uh, that account for how um, federal financial aid is used and other aspects that the government wants to see in education quality and in an accreditation process. Um, Chia comes from within and DEAC values being part of a community of educators, of academics that engage in peer review and quality assurance um, around the student experience and of the student's learning outcomes. Thank you. So I think you've touched on this a little bit, but I'm gonna be more direct in my, my questions so that we can focus in on your response. So can you talk a little bit more about what it is that Chia recognition offers DEAC that USDE does not. And this is not to say that one is better than the other, mm -hmm. but the emphasis is of course on what Chia's recognition brings to the table. Um, you know, Chia comes from a tradition that recognition of accreditation is a key strategy for education quality, accountability and improvement. Something Chia has done is really move the needle on accountability and transparency. Chia has called for accreditors to be more transparent with accreditation decisions about data on student achievement. Chia puts the student at the center of its work. And when you look at Chia's mission, it is about quality education for the students, their families, and all of the other stakeholders that uh, will benefit from that quality education for that student. And so with this kind of tradition within higher education and, and Chia's kind of grounding in quality improvement, continuous improvement, um, you know, that's something that if, if DEAC is gonna be true to its mission to serve students in distance education, we wanna be reviewed against the academic principles and expectations that the rest of the academic community is reviewed for. Terrific, thank you for, for your expanding on that response. So I'm curious, I have a two part question for you. So. I'd like to know how CHIA recognition specifically benefits the institutions that DE, DEAC accredits. And I'd also like to know if you have anything to add. You mentioned in your prior response that, that CHIA has really moved the needle on ensuring that accrediting organizations are being more transparent mm -hmm. and accountable about their decision-making process and making more information public, not just about the decisions that they make, but also about student outcomes mm -hmm. data. So mm -hmm. the second part of my question <laughs> is, have you gotten any resistance from, oh. from your, your member institutions or concerns about um, how Chia has moved the needle on, <laughs> on some of these fundamental um, things on which Chia pins its mission? Well, Laurie, I'm so glad we have notes that we shared between us uh, for this webinar because that was a very long and involved question. And Sorry. I, have, I have my notes from what we discussed about sharing more on this topic. And I think every institution benefits when it's called to put a lens on data about student achievement 
in their institution and their program. And one of the CHIA recognition standards that DEAC has, has looked at very carefully, has built it into its own standards of review, is um, this transparency on evidence of student achievement at program level, at institution level, in the context of institution mission. And CHIA having that standard and then holding all of the accrediting organizations that recognizes that standard, I think brings a level of consistency to sharing information with the public and prospective students about the performance of institutions and their programs, raising um, the expectations that that data is going to be available. And I think it also helps the institution plan for its next improvements. You know, it has an obligation to make this data public through its website and other means. Um, so, you know, having that kind of lens on institution performance, I think raises expectations and pushes an institution to improve. I like this approach by Chia calling on the institutions to be transparent, because we have lots of other transparency efforts in higher education right now. There's college scorecard, there's other um, college navigator, other information that the government assembles from iPads and sources of, of federal information. But what she is doing is pulling together the academic community to look at outcomes in the context of institution mission and publishing that data on student achievement. Um, so for DEAC, that's something that we have looked at very carefully. Uh, we've also looked at our own practices on transparency, what information we share with the public about an institution's performance and how we can be more proactive as you know, an arbiter of quality, uh, engaging in this community at CHIA and also making our very best effort to try to promote increased transparency among our activities as an accreditor. Uh, at the end of your question, Laura, you asked me about resistance. Uh, Change is hard, you know, and when Chia makes changes to its recognition standards, of course, that brings a lot of dialogue into the picture. Um, Chia just recently closed a call for comment period on its recognition standards and DEAC participated in providing comments. And so anytime there's change, uh, there needs to be good communication, good dialogue, good explanation, and then, you know, time to implement that change uh, and then reflect on it and how can we do better. And so working through any resistance to change is part of what all accreditors and institutions are part of. The fact that we do this as a community in Chia, I think, benefits the students and the public overall. Thank you. Um, Bob and Daryl, I want to ask you a question similar to what I, I just asked Leah. I'm going off script a little bit, so you'll have to, you'll have to forgive me. Um, but, you know, one of the questions uh, that I just asked Leah had to do with how the um, the institutions that DEAC accredits, how they have felt about um, these transparency and accountability standards, particularly around um, making public the student achievement data. And as you both um, are presidents of institutions that are not only members of CHIA, but that, are rec that have accreditation by several CHIA recognized accrediting organizations, I wonder if either of you has, and you might not, but if either one of you has anything you might like to share about your experience with um, making public that student achievement data that CHIA recognized accrediting organizations require. Okay, well, I'll just start in. Um, I think that, you know, one of the things that 
recognized, as uh, Leah eloquently said, is that it also elevates in terms of the importance of the quality of programs and services that we're offering. I think as it relates to transparency and also the level of accountability, I think it provides some reassurances. A lot of times what happens, whether you have an incoming student or you may have uh, parents from families, they want to know that they're going to an institution that's gonna provide the best opportunity for their students to succeed. I think that as it relates to understanding the transparency that it's fulfilling its objectives um, as it relates to its desired mission and goals. Um, and it provides an opportunity to make sure that, for example, I, I think that one of our creditors is the Accreditation Commission for Education and Nursing, our ACEN. But one of the key marking points of transparency is students want to know what's the passage rates? How many students are actually passing? What's the success rates on the NCLEX exam? And so that helps to elevate the importance and need why we need to make sure that information of success is uh, publicized. Also too, it provides reassurances for again, the students and family members knowing that they're going to a quality institution. And also too, it helps us as an institution because it recognizes that if we're following below a certain benchmark, we need to do something to change that. And so we're looking for continuous improvement. So I think those are some of the benefits. Thank you, terrific. I also would echo that from the transparency from families, but uh, Hassan has nine different accreditors that we're responding to in terms of prepared information. And it allows us to understand what are the standards and give us those baselines to be able to excel and to uh, achieve and focus. And as Daryl indicated, you know, if the benchmarks aren't being met, <clears throat> what do you do next? Terrific. Um, so I'm going to continue with, with Bob and Daryl, but of course, Leah, if you, you know that you have something terrific to add, feel free to jump in. So we know, and we've already talked about, that accreditation is an important, necessary objective peer review process that not only provides an opportunity for continuous quality improvement, but it also may provide access to federal financial aid money, and as uh, Daryl just referred to, eligibility for students to sit for licensure or certification exams. So I'm just curious at your two institutions, and perhaps these decisions predate you, um, did recognition by CHIA and or USDE influence your institution's decision when deciding what accrediting organizations, um, institutional and or programmatic to seek accreditation from when a choice existed? If so, in what way? So if I could just use an example. So Daryl, you mentioned ACEN, which um, accredits um, all types of nursing degree programs from diploma up to the, the doctor of nursing practice. There are other uh, nursing accrediting bodies um, that um, don't accredit the same breadth of, of programs that ACEN does, but where there is some overlap. So that's just an example. I'm not putting you on the spot for this particular question, Daryl. But, but I am curious if the recognition by CHIA and or USDE um, is discussed at your, you know, at the institutional level, if your faculty and administrators talk about um, the recognition by accreditors by USDE or CHIA and how that's influenced um, 
your decisions about accreditation at your institutions? Well, I appreciate the question, you know, a, a very good question. And as it relates to my tenure, I'm currently in my third year. <laughs> so I don't, can't say in terms of the history, in terms of what the conversation has um, included as it relates to the, the topics of the creditors. But what I will say is that at this point in time, um, we're always examining um, and looking at in terms of our ability to function at a, uh, at a high level. And so we recognize that through accrediting bodies that there are just like institutions or, you know, um, there are some that do extremely well, some that's on a cutting edge and there's others that, you know, again, they just try to figure it out. And we recognize that at least the conversations we're having is that we want to be associated with those programs and those organizations, those agencies that have raised the bar, that challenges us, that make sure that we provide exemplary programs and services. We want our students to be at the, um, the highest level of ability and because of the accountability that CHIA has, um, it helps us to know that our regional accrediting agency or um, our professional organizations which we're accredited by, that they, also resemble those same standards because Chia has set the benchmark. And that's something that's really important to us. And so I would say that that's something we'll continue to have conversations about and making sure that regardless of the accrediting body or agency, it's at one of the highest levels. So it makes sure that we are also being accountable. Terrific, thank you. And I would echo that same decision-making process. I've been here 12 years, and many of these decisions were made earlier than my tenure. However, there are several, as we looked at programmatic improvements, we wanted to be associated with accrediting bodies that basically had national recognition standards and were able to take the institution to that next level, if you will. So, um, and I would just pick on one of them, for example, uh, KCREP for counseling and, and those sort of things. So that recognition by CHIA was an important factor in being able to uh, assert the quality of their programs and the fact that they as an accrediting body doesn't mean it's good or bad or whatever, as you said at the beginning, but it does give the institution a standard to understand it's being met by the accrediting body itself and not just arbitrary. So when that decision is made and reaffirmed each time we go up for reaccreditation in different areas, those factors are important to the organization. Thank you. So I'm gonna switch gears a little bit um, and, and, and throw a question out to, to all three of you. Um, there are many people that believe that politics and ideology have increasingly influenced decisions made by USDE specific to accreditation regulations and the recognition of accrediting organizations. I'm curious, do institutions of higher education have concerns about the politicization of accreditation and recognition? And what about concerns on the part of accrediting organizations? You know, because administrations can change as early as every four years, right? And at maximum every eight years. So I'm just curious what you all think of that. 
and how it affects your work in relation to accreditation and recognition. I'm not sure anybody wants to go first. <laughs> I'll offer to go first, Bob, if you like. I was just busy getting myself off mute. Uh, well, for accreditation, we certainly um, are stuck on a pendulum that tends to swing uh, between ideas about accreditation and accreditation's role. Um, under Obama, we saw accreditors reviewed with great scrutiny over accreditation decisions on for-profit institutions. They tended to put institutions in categories. Uh, they created databases um, and tools to use to look at the performance of accreditors and specific to the performance of, of institutions. Um, they asked NASIKI, which is the National Advisory Committee for Institutional Quality and Integrity, to uh, look at accreditors and their institution performance you know, through a lot of different lenses. Um, they created the database of accredited post-secondary institutions and programs called DAPIP for short, where accreditors produced you know, updates on their accreditation actions in the centralized database of the Department of Education. Um, they've added information to the college scorecard about institution and program uh, performance based on iPads. Um, you know, then under the Trump administration, we saw other things happen. We saw some terminologies changed. Uh, we saw them uh, use negotiated rulemaking uh, to achieve consensus around some ideas about the geography of accreditation. Um, and they removed some terms around regional accreditation and national accreditation um, and, and, you know, made some statements about those terms and, and their negotiated rulemaking efforts. Uh, and then now we're back into another set of negotiated rulemaking around things like borrower defense to repayment, which is you know, a, an area of great interest right now, you know, where, where borrowers somehow misled or misinformed about an institution or program, are they eligible for some kind of discharge of their loan obligations? And so borrower defense to repayment is coming up uh, again uh, when it really hadn't been examined over the last four years. So, so all of these activities, and I'm, I'm speaking very quickly because there's, there's a lot of them, uh, they put accreditors on a pendulum and you can, you kind of swing back and forth uh, to try to fulfill these obligations through recognition with the Department of Ed, the Nasiki expectations and, you know, kind of what the political emphasis is, you know, of the day. That, that's kind of where I am right now in terms of watching the next pendulum swing um, and expecting that accreditors are going to start to see some different kinds of guidance than we've seen over the last four years. Leah, I really appreciate you offering that um, litany, if you will, of the kinds of changes that can be seen in that pendulum swing. And you mentioned one that's actually um, referenced in a question that one of our participants um, has mm -hmm. asked, which is related to terminology um, specific to accreditation. And I'll try to jump in and answer this. And um, if you as, as the other accreditor, um, if you will, uh, on the webinar wanna jump in for any clarification, please feel free to. The question has to do with the categorization of national versus regional. And you know, in my world, I tend to think of accreditors in two different categories. One is institutional and one is programmatic. And so you have accrediting organizations whose role and responsibility it is to review the entire institution and its operations. Um, and then you have the other kind of accreditor, the programmatic accreditor, whose role and 
responsibility it is to look at a specific area of study, whether that's nursing or architecture or library sciences, occupational therapy, those kinds of things. When it comes to the institutional accreditors, over time, there was language associated with them, in particular to the regional accrediting bodies and the national accrediting bodies. And the distinction really was that we have seven regional accrediting organizations and they divvied up the country. And so if you were an institution that um, operated in the part of the country that belonged to one of those regional um, accreditors, then you could seek institutional accreditation from one of those regional accrediting bodies. There are also national accrediting bodies such as DEAC, um, who has always accredited across, uh, across borders, if you will, across state lines. And under the prior administration, there was um, an effort made to um, um, lessen the distinction that um, exists out in the community of institutions and accreditors, that there was something better about a regional accrediting organization versus a national accrediting organization. And so the department um, changed in regulatory language, but not in the law. The, the terminology regional still exists. It's not incorrect to refer to the regional accrediting organizations as regionals. Um, but, but the boundaries, the restrictions on the regional accrediting organizations to operate only in those parts of the country that had been divvied up for them has been removed. So in that sense, all institutional accreditors are now national. Did I explain that in a way that makes sense, Leah? Or do you, do you have a better way to, to put a lens on that? Well, these categories for institutional accreditors, um, the categories of regional, the categories of national faith or national career or specialized programmatic have been in place for a very long time, you know, well over a hundred years. Uh, they've been used to define different types of accreditation that have evolved. And we have all evolved in distance education, which is now a primary feature of higher education. Uh, we've evolved where institutions have created networks of branch locations that certainly are crossing regional boundaries. And then we're also serving a very different student body than we did when these categories were created. And so, you know, in the course of a year and in the course of changing language on some documents and some rules internally at the Department of Education, uh, we're not gonna completely get to a fully embraced change. Uh, but we're starting to have important conversations about what's best for students. And what's best for students is to have equal and fair treatment of their degree credentials, the specialized accreditation that goes with that credential, uh, the opportunity to use these credentials to gain employment, to advance their studies and to graduate work. Uh, you know, these uh, boundaries around accreditation, you know, uh, that's an important change. And it has great meaning to many, many people in higher education. Uh, but starting the conversations is, is a good place um, that get us where we wanna be to help our students uh, achieve their goals. Very well stated, Leah. Thank you for, for that <laughs> follow-up. If we can, can get back a little bit to 
Um, and I, I really want to throw this to Daryl and Bob because Leah, you were brave and talked about um, how the, the changes in administration can really um, affect accrediting organizations and what's required of them in a way that almost um, creates a whiplash because it can occur so quickly and because change is slow. So most accrediting organizations um, are reviewing and revising their standards, for instance, every five years. But if an administration is changing every four years, it's hard to keep up. So I'm, I'm curious, um, uh, Bob and Daryl, if, if your institutions have any concerns about um, in particular, how changes at the federal level with USDE affect what accrediting organizations are going to be requiring of your institutions. And the reason I'm asking this question is because it's a distinction between USDE and CHIA. Um, the winds of change with the administration don't really affect uh, CHIA's standards. Rather, what affects CHIA's standards is the academy and the assurance of, of academic quality and how um, Chia can help um, make sure that that, that is staying um, in place and current and looking at innovation and those kinds of things. So just some thoughts. Um, I'll just share. I think that, you know, as you talk about the changes of new administration, obviously if there are are situations where we have a new administration and there's drastic change, obviously this causes a disruption. Um, but I will say that recognizing from the USDA, which provides, again, a lot of emphasis on Title IV funding, mm -hmm. but knowing that she is a focus on academic quality and knowing that there's um, gonna be a level of consistency in that process, I think provides a, a, a level of calmness, understanding, and also provides us to provide um, assurances for our students without drastic changes. And I'll just give an example. You know, um, as we talk about quality standards, it, the fact that we want to make sure that we have faculty who meet a level of, um, I guess, academic quality by having degree of credentials intact to perform at their highest level to meet um, the subject matter um, instruction to just probably in the classroom. And if there was drastic changes, you know, obviously we'll have to find new instructors or we may lose instructors or we have to retrain new instructors. Um, and that's just daunting, you know, even thinking about the fiscal impact that it would have. And so there's a level of stability with Chia knowing that we don't see those drastic changes occurring. I think with CHIA, we see that there's enhancements that to be made, but the enhancements are based on fundamental values of what's in the best interest of the, of the, the institution, you know, meaning that in terms of reassuring that there will be quality standards in place to meet the rigor and demands to beat, I guess, to meet our student needs. And so I feel a level of stability uh, with CHIA and regardless of who's in administration, that I don't have to go back and forth and wonder what's going to happen next. And so I think that's one of the advantages of, you know, with Chi is that there is a level of consistency, but when there is change, it's usually um, a time limit and there's parameters, there's guidelines, there's structure behind it. 
And so we, we make sure that we uh, um, adhere to them within a timely manner, so. Thank you. I feel the same confidence that uh, she is in non-governmental way and reminding ourselves that it is sort of a self-voluntary regulatory environment that we enter into. On a practical level, a lot of these issues depend on where you are in the cycle of reporting and responding. And, uh, you know, it depends where in that cycle, if you will, the institution is. We are always responding to changes in the environment, whether it's political or otherwise in the professions. And so, you know, uh, even as we prepare, for example, for our 10th year review in 2023, under the New England Associ Commission of Higher Education, there are things that are going to be changing and processes that are going to be changing and procedures that are going to be changing. And they're not always governmentally driven, but are they ways that we can improve our quality assurance to students, to their families? Um, there have been a lot of changes in New England, for example, on financial issues. We had some institutions that, uh, let's say, closed unexpectedly due to the uh, challenges economically that they faced. And uh, the accrediting bodies started taking a look at how could we be more prepared and more transparent in the process. So all of a sudden we have a whole new framework. It didn't necessarily come from Washington, D.C. Perhaps it was in anticipation uh, and et cetera. So being responsive is kind of something the organizations are consistently engaged in. And I think the good aspects of CHIA is they are looking at it from a different lens than USD would be looking at things. And that's comforting and uh, a reassurance that you know it's going to be for a betterment process, not just for the sake of politics. Thank you. Um, all three of you have talked about consistency and there's consistency in what the standards are, right? So there's, there's the, the type of consistency where we talk about what the expectations are. And then there's consistency in the way that the standards are applied. So first we have, these are the standards um, or these are the procedures and they may swing uh, depending on political winds, but then you also have consistency in the process. And so um, I don't know that, that there's anything to add here or, or thoughts, but I'm curious as to what your experience has been as, um, it's really from two different lenses, Bob and Daryl as university presidents, seeing the consistency in the accrediting organizations that come into your institution, whether they're the institutional or the programmatic accreditors um, in applying those standards. And then Leah, your experience in um, having recognition standards applied to DEAC. I do think it's important to remember that we are driven by peer reviews in these processes. And there are differences in interpretation at times and et cetera. And I think that many of the accrediting bodies as an accreditor, you know, educates the teams that go forth 
with the ideas that, uh, you know, here's what we're trying to do for consistency purposes from the organization. And this is interpretation wise from the accreditors. But there's still that room for why do we have peers going out doing an assessment and process? Because it is peer reviewed, peer driven, and peer assessed. And uh, that has benefits in terms of the long term implications. But I do think accreditors, in my view, uh, all of our accreditors have done great jobs of educating those teams that have gone out on their behalf, if you will, to do field testing, if you will. Uh, sometimes we may disagree with the interpretation or a new interpretation that we weren't prepared for, but that is all part of peer review. Thank you. Well, yeah. I would I would add to what Bob says about the peer review process also bringing a, a terrific depth of experience and background, particularly in certain fields that gets shared. And while it may not be particularly relevant to an accreditation criteria, suggestions for improvements, best practices, how to allocate resources, you know, can be very inconsistent program to program, review to review. But the uh, application of the standard themselves in relation to institution mission. And I'm always pointing that out to my board, you know, because these missions are so diversified. Um, how is the institution and its setting and its goals meeting the standard? And accreditors that I've worked with all work very, very hard to check their consistency at board level decisions, because that's kind of where the rubber hits the road, that the peers gather information and they report on their findings, but ultimately the accreditor has the decision to make and the board has responsibility for the consistency in their decision institution to institution. So uh, again, it's something that Shia emphasizes. It's something the Department of Education emphasizes as well, that consistency in decision-making is a critical function of fairness um, in the whole process. And I'll just add quickly is that I appreciate at least knowing that um, rather the accrediting bodies that do conduct their review, that they know that they're always the focus of the institution, meaning that the mission of the institution guides in terms of direct what that review will look like. And so therefore, we know that there's gonna be variations based on institutions, but knowing that the mission is in the forefront, but the criteria provide some level of consistency, but it's aimed directly in terms of fulfilling that mission. And so I think that's one of the key points in, in terms of making sure that there's rather differences. Um, the other thing I would mention as well is the fact that, you know, going back to uh, what Bob and Leah shared is that knowing that there's training and development. And so there's group growth opportunities provided. So even though there may be some individual differences of how they go about, it's not necessarily the what, but sometimes the how, but knowing that there's training and development for um, the accrediting bodies that, that provides some assurances that there's opportunities to help those individuals to understand in terms of what that review should look like, what they should be examining, um, having the opportunity to conduct on-site reviews. Um, I know that most part are probably remote more now, but um, just having the opportunity, but there's some level of consistency that's provided there. So that's one of the things I would just um, share with the group as well. Thank you. Um... I'm like, oh my gosh, we're running out of time, but I, and we still have such rich discussions to, to share. So 
Leah mentioned um, several minutes ago that she had just um, uh, closed its call for comments for revised standards. And I'm going to be honest with you, the, the majority of comments that Chia received were from the accrediting organizations. On, on the one hand, I understand that because the accrediting organizations are the ones who are going to be held to those standards. But on the other hand, it's Chia member institutions who are accredited by those accrediting organizations that are then going to have their process affected by the change to Chia standards. So Bob and Daryl, I wonder if you have just a few thoughts you might share since, since Chia was formed by the Academy and the idea is that the Chia standards will reflect what's important to, to member institutions and the students and families that they serve, um, what obligation or what role would you like to see the member institutions engage in to support Shia's recognition work? I know it's a toughie. <laughs> well, I, I would say that, you know, in terms of the institution, you know, because, um, Chia, in terms of its role as it relates to quality assurances, I think the institution is to make sure that one, um, a level of support in terms of that we remain a peer review process. So as we think about what advocacy, and so that's where we wanna make sure that we remain autonomous and that we are not changing based on the political environment or who's in government or political offices. So I think that would be important. Also, too, knowing that, you know, for any organization, you need talented people. Um, and so you got to have the, the, the quality pool. And that, and that comes back to the point where in terms of membership and dues, because you can't have the talented people if you can't pay them. And so we need to make sure that, um, again, we support um, our crediting body seat, uh, bodies and to make sure that we remain uh, members and that we're providing the support so they can continue to advocate on our behalf. But those were probably the, the top um, ideas that came to my mind. I would also just add to that. Uh, we have a 20 member board and it represents all types of organizations that are in the membership, uh, ranging from uh, community college to doctoral granting institutions. And that all of those views are critical to evaluating how we might change or review standards and uh, use those opportunities uh, to better the CHIA membership in quality assurance and et cetera. So become involved, don't be hesitant, uh, send in your thoughts and your views, don't leave it to somebody else. Thank you. So um, CHIA is the non-governmental um, recognizing authority for accrediting organizations. So in the US we have Two, two authorities that recognize accrediting organizations, one being CHIA and the other being the Department of Education. I'm curious, and uh, any of you feel free to weigh in, what do you think would be lost if the only recognizing authority was governmental? Well, I think you would lose the academic community's vibrant and robust participation in this process. Um, 
you know, I had responsibility some time ago about meeting with international delegations seeking to understand accreditation in the United States and would always be met with some astonishment and marvel that we carry out this process with thousands and thousands of volunteers from the academic community who donate their time and their expertise because, you know, they believe in the process. And so, you know, if we were just subject to government review of accreditation, and not a Chia-based organization of the academic community, I think we would lose that emphasis on peer review and, and the, the spirit of the volunteer and the academic community's commitment to this enterprise. Uh, Thank you. Bob, Daryl? Yeah, I certainly think that's the critical element of the peer review process and having the expertise of the individuals from the organizations programmatically and et cetera, and those expertise uh, that live out the mission of the organization mm -hmm. on a regular basis. Yeah. And I'll just mention too, I think that um, as it relates to having that autonomy for institutions to fulfill their mission, I just think that the standards would change and therefore there would be a level of compliance um, but the compliance may be regulatory where it loses sight where institutions are actually fulfilling their need um, in terms of the constituent groups that they serve. And so I think that having um, independence and working autonomously allows that to occur in addition to allowing the academy to do the review because they have the knowledge, the skills, the depth and understanding of the complexities of the institutions which we serve. Thank you. So we have two minutes left and we have three wonderful presenters. And I'm just wondering, I'm putting you on the spot. We didn't talk about this previously. So your answer can be, nope, I'm good. Um, I'm just wondering if, if any of you or all of you have any final thoughts that you would like to share about how you believe that the CHIA recognition of accrediting organizations um, benefits its member institutions. Well, one area Chia is addressing through recognition is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it's doing so in a much more forward-thinking manner than I think higher education has seen within the accreditation community. And so bringing accreditors into that conversation and looking at how their processes uh, fairly address DEI, I think is, is a very interesting and strategic direction for Chia uh, to take higher education. Thank you. I think she you know, focuses on how do we make better opportunity for students. That's mm -hmm. really critical as an outcome for the mission-driven institutions that we all serve. Yeah, and I would just mention too I, the fact that we're focused on innovative practices. You know, therefore we're not becoming stagnant. We have to adapt and change as we see our world changing. And so recognizing how we teach and how students learn is really important. And so I think that's the value where we say we're challenging ourselves and we wanna make sure that we're in compliance and we're meeting standards, we're making rigor, but at the same time, we're elevating ourselves to make sure that we're adapting to our current conditions environment and also thinking about the future. Where do we see ourselves um, 10 years, 15 years from now? Well, thank you all. I can't believe our time is up. The hour just um, flew by. And I um, found the discussion to be interesting and, and engaging. And I know that our participants did as well. 
for anyone that has questions about the CHIA recognition process, you see my contact information um, on the screen. And um, just thank you again, Bob, Daryl, and Leah for your participation today. And thank you to our members who, who tuned in for this important webinar. Have a good afternoon.